Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome back to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. How are you, Anne? I'm great. How are you, Scott? Fantastic. We have a guest on our show today. We do. Paul Roth. Hi, this is Paul Roth. I'm with Dunleavy, Mahan, and Furry. Paul is uh, an ERISA attorney and also... uh, Don't hold that against us. Well, absolutely not. Well, he holds the fact that we're insurance brokers against us. That's true. Yeah, he does. Also a CPA, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which is kind of rare. Yes. So we're really glad you're here. Well, thank you. I appreciate being invited. So, Ann, so what's going on in your world? Well, it's uh, it's Friday today. We're recording on a Friday, so I'm, I'm glad to see the weekend and um, had a busy week this week. You know, yesterday I did a healthcare reform webinar and I'm surprised I had 1,800 people register for that event. Wow. I was, yeah, I, I really... Can I comment on that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Please do. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. No. So, um, in conjunction with with uh, with a, a group we work with from time to time, Paycor, um, wanted to provide some updates on ACA, and I said I'd be happy to to do that. And uh, one of my colleagues here at McGowan Bray Bender participated with me, Miss Beth Bailey. And the reason I was surprised is because healthcare reform and ACA has been around for six years. I just didn't think people had that many questions still. Don't you think a lot of that is, you know, obviously when it was passed in 2010, it started out with 2,500 pages, which some people have said it was written but not read or understood. Now we stand tall at 25,000 pages. We're six years into this legislation or basically five and some odd months. So when, when you were talking to um, 1,800, and by the way, thanks for doing that. Uh, yeah, that's it's fun. That, that's can't nice see anybody. No one can see me. And I can't see them. So well, they I have, can't see us now. I have no idea what's, what, but I can see yeah. you. So at least I'm here with a person, right? I wonder right? if they could see your haircut. Because you got a haircut. I, I did get a haircut. By the way, it looks great. Thanks. Yeah. I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> you plead the fifth, Paul? Correct. Okay. So, Anne, with all of the things that you talked about uh, with 1,800 people, uh, how did you, and you had an hour to go over that. So well, walk me through kind of like, like, so where'd you start? Yeah, so um, I did a similar seminar last year, and I had about 75 minutes, and I tried to jam as much information as I could in that 75 minutes, and that that was difficult. So this year what we decided is we would just talk about the changes that have taken place in the most recent months. Um, there was some legislation passed in December. Paul, you could probably speak to that a little bit. Um, the federal budget bill and PATH and PACE and those things came out. So we talked about just what's on the horizon and then what they need to know right now. So we just chose about four different topics, kind of directionally told them what was happening, and then said, you know, you should check with your benefit broker for more information. Gotcha. So I think directionally, really, the Affordable Care Act affects employers below 50 employees, yep. one direction. Uh, and then recently, some of the modifications and changes, employers that have over 50 employees. So, Paul, I mean, you do this for a living. You're an ERISA attorney. You help us out with our 1,200 accounts, and we're grateful for that. But also, you work with the ODI. You work with other brokers across the state of Ohio. And even you've written a book, and I think that book's 1,800 pages. 
<laughs> I'd have to chew on a bag of nails to even think about reading that, but... I wrote it, and I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, uh, uh, one is, uh, you've been in this business for a long time, so how long have you been in ERISA law? Well, not to date ourselves, but I was a CPA for a number of years, about seven years. Uh, then I went back to law school, so we graduated in 86, I believe it was. Gotcha. And you went to Penn State, I think? Undergrad Penn State, yep. then law school at uh, University of Toledo, and then I got a master's in taxation from NYU. Wow, so you're really you're smarter than Ann and I combined. Plus, well, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was searching for something to say, but I think okay is just that's perfect. Yeah, that, that yeah. Says I'm it good all. with that. I'm yeah. good with well, that. It says it all. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Paul, when you think about uh, the Affordable Care Act, by the way, it was written by your brethren. So, well, yes, yeah. Uh, all 25,000 pages <laughs> yes. by your brethren. So we're grateful for that because it is complicated and it is it a burden is. on the system and it is a burden on employers. Although it does have, uh, in, at least in my opinion, it does have some positive aspects to our dysfunctional healthcare system. And it has made uh, a lot of things, uh, at least the access to care easier for Americans, which is a real problem. Yes. The preventive care services that were expanded. I think yes. that was a real a real plus to it. But what, I mean, if you look at the law from where you sit, what's the part of it that is the most perplexing to you? You know, they say the devil's in the details. And for example, uh, probably the thing that's on the immediate horizon, which would be the end of this month, is the new reporting requirements applicable to larger employers. Basically, the new IRS forms 1094 and 1095. And, you know, as they say, the devil's in the detail, and they keep issuing more and more rules. And, and one of the frustrating things is that, and I, I can certainly appreciate where the employers are coming from. You know, they stand there and say, am I, I going to put the time and effort to do this? And then what happens? The rules change. Then the government comes back and says they're delayed. And then they come back and say they're not going to assess penalties as much as originally thought. So it, that, that's really a frustrating part of the statute. It's hard to keep saying, you know, the house is burning, the house is burning, when it really keeps, it's not catching on fire. Basically. You, know, you know what's interesting, Paul, and I think, um, and maybe you might be able to add to this, but, you know, there's a perception that elements of this law are, uh, is uh, an insurance company requirement, but really the majority of this legislation and the things that, that we'll be talking about today, I mean, it is the employer's responsibility. Yeah, a lot of it, it what they've done is like, for example, what Ann had talked about, you know, they expanded you know, preventive care and things like that. And that's a lot of behind the scenes from the employer standpoint because the carrier is going to have to comply with that. Now, obviously, the employer is going to see that because there's no free lunch. So when you expand coverage, it's going to cost more. But like the reporting requirements and things like that, especially if you're self-funded, there's some new things in there too, like the transitional reinsurance fee and the PCORI fee and things like that. That It's just a new burden. And as Scott touched upon it, 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 it really, I mean, one, I think it has increased access, and people are greedy with that. It certainly hasn't controlled cost, and it, it's becoming more burdensome. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, is um, obviously the preventative services are covered 100%. I was a big fan of that. I thought it was terrific for America. Pre-existing condition. Pre-existing conditions. I think it was, uh, you know, you had a lot of people that were either a far farmer or a CPA, and maybe they had a sick child and they couldn't get health care, and today they can get it. And we're a country that we should be that way. And then you look at things like covering children to age 26. And I think from directionally, there was a lot of opinions about this is going to cost a lot. Those items we just uh, brought up, preventative care, 
uh, pre-existing conditions and age 26. I don't, and, and I'll probably ask your opinion, but uh, I'm not sure I've seen that as a, a gigantic financial burden, at least for our clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of those things combined, depending on which which commercial carrier you're looking at and which rating methodology they're using, um, were a few percentage points each. So it, it did increase the overall cost to a fully insured plan. But as you said, there are other things that are increasing the cost at a much faster pace. And at the end of the day, um, those those adding those kids up to age 26 didn't really cost the plans as much, I think, as they thought it was going to cost cost the plans. I mean, there, there were some maybe some pregnancies. You know, of course, people are adults at that particular point. Um, generally speaking, those dependents are healthy. Um, but the preventive services, we, we should be offering those. There are other things inside those plans that are costing much, much more. And ultimately, um, I think those preventive services will lead to reduced costs in the plan if people are using them appropriately. I don't know, Paul, what do you think? Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting now because of the debates, the presidential debates in the presidential system, and the Republicans' battle cry is that we're going to repeal it day one. I think two things. One, for that to happen, it would take literally an act of Congress. I mean, the president can't, you know, change the law unilaterally. The other thing is, you know, depending on what the numbers are, there's anywhere from from nine to 13 million people that have gotten the expanded health coverage, and that translates to nine to 13 million votes. So certainly on the campaign trail, you hear that kind of stuff, but I wonder in reality what's going to happen. Yeah, I think there's a perception in America right now that, you know, um, this presidential election and and obviously we're hearing a lot of rhetoric and a lot of noise. And to be honest with you, a lot of it just gives me a gigantic headache. But I do think that uh, at least my opinion is the majority of this legislation is on rails and to unwind this thing entirely. Uh, would be very, very complicated. It would it would be next to impossible. I will tell you this, and Governor Kasich's in Dayton, Ohio today, um, just down the street um, at, a, at a large company, uh, speaking of the political campaign. But one of the things that's gotten really bipartisan support is the repeal or proposed repeal of the Cadillac tax, right? Yes, and, and, and what they do is they push it back. Now it's tax deductible. And one of those things is I always say, be careful what you ask for, because let's say all of a sudden they repeal the Cadillac tax, which is an excise tax on expensive health plans. You know, health care is expensive. They're going to have to pay for it one way or the other. And again, be careful what you ask for. All of a sudden they repeal the Cadillac tax. But right now, the biggest tax uh, loss or expense to the federal government is a tax deductibility of health coverage. So now, all of a sudden, maybe they repeal the, the Cadillac tax, but all of a sudden, the employer's tax deduction goes away or, or is limited. So let's talk it, about that for a second, because the Cadillac tax was supposed to drive $87 billion, right, of, or thereabouts. And employers are doing pretty much everything they can to avoid the Cadillac tax, which was originally supposed to go into effect in 2013, immediately was delayed to 2018, and with the most recent federal budget bill in December was delayed till 2020. That's right. So now we got two more years. It was really, I think, they did it to get through this presidential election. Absolutely. And um, again, it was supposed to be a big revenue driver. Now benefits have been tax free since World War II, right? Since 1942. Yeah. Well, I think there was a. Uh, th- this is before my time. <laughs> but I think there was there was a freeze on wages back then. So what they did is to incentivize the, the workforce because it was a freeze on wages, they gave them better benefits. So that was the genesis of, of, of the uh, tax deductible. But I think you bring up a really good point because the Affordable Care Act was proposed 
uh, by the Congressional Budget Office to cost $1.2 trillion uh, over a 10-year period. So yeah. if you look at the uh, penalties, uh, if you don't offer coverage, $2,000. If you get someone that's eligible for, for the exchange, $3,000. The Cadillac tax, uh, taxes on... on uh, medical equipment i mean all the tax yeah you you start you start unpacking all of that and a lot of that has been delayed yes so we've got 9.9 million people enrolled on the exchange yes and quite frankly we don't have a lot of revenue to pay for this it is it is going to eventually be a burden on america yes like i say there's no free lunch and and that's a problem and and, and like you said back at the beginning you know, access certainly increased access but no cost control. So what you've done is you've taken people and put more people in a broken system from a cost standpoint than before when the statute was passed. Yeah. So one of the things our employers have been trying to do in order to avoid cost increases and to really manage the cost of their plans, for a number of years, they've been focused around health and wellness. And for a long time, the employers were looking at activity-based things. How do we get our employees interested and engaged? And some of them have moved to outcomes-based programs where we screen people through biometric screenings and then connect those people to programs to help them control their costs. With the Cadillac tax coming down the pike, employers are really interested in how do I make sure the health of my population stays well or continues to improve. So talk to us a little bit about the compliance that goes into health and wellness programs and some of the swirling noise out there that's been coming um, yeah. under under. Yeah, you know, it's you talk about frustration, and now you bring up memories. Uh, what happened is, as you as you correctly pointed out, the healthcare well healthcare reform and had rules with respect to wellness, and then what you really find frustrating is that the government doesn't speak with one voice because the Department of Labor and the IRS and the Department of Health and Human Services came out with the rules for wellness programs, and for example, a tobacco-based wellness program could be up to fifty percent of the cost of the coverage. Well, then the EEOC comes out with rules with respect to the Americans with Disability Act and GINA with the genetic uh, testing, and they come out and say that the maximum uh, reward or penalty is 30%. So not only do you have complex rules, you have complex rules that contradict themselves. So it, it really is difficult to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and be in compliance. It's, 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 it really becomes a full-time job to, to monitor this stuff and to comply. Yeah. Well, then you have you, you have the IRS that's involved in this legislation, Department of Labor. And the Health and Human Services. Yeah, I mean, so you just have a lot of different elements. Let, let me just kind of land this plane a little bit for, for employers that might be listening. So really, uh, in your opinion, there's aspects of the Affordable Care Act that, that affect employers that are less than 50. Yes. And then impacts... Uh, for employers that have over 50. And for the most part, a lot of the carriers or a lot of the employers, and you brought this up, as, as the government has made modifications or requirements, preventative care, age 20, the carriers have done that work yes. on behalf of the employers. For the fully insured employers. Correct. And a lot of the stuff that's coming in play today uh, is the employer's responsibility. And I, I don't know, Ann, you might disagree or agree, but I do think there's a perception that, hey, who's going to take care of this for me? And right. Ultimately, it's an, an employer responsibility. I, I do believe that most employers think that it's either their carrier, their broker, their TPA, 
somebody is or surely a doing Arisa it. attorney, right? Right. Or you Paul. Bet. Yeah, you Paul, bet. Yeah. Paul. Yeah. If you're listening now, just call Paul. No. Um, but it's. It, I do think that they feel like someone's going to help them with that. Well, you know, and it kind of reckons back to like the Form 5500s, which have been around for a long time, and you run across an employer that said, "Well, some someone took care of that for me." And it's kind of like your personal tax return. You may hire a CPA to prepare the return, but if you didn't sign it and submit it, 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 it it's your problem. That's a right. great point. And that's it. And to stand there and bury your head in the sand, ultimately the penalty goes against the employer. Now, you may have a contract that says somebody else is liable, but the starting point is going to be it's your nickel, and then you're the one on the hook. Right. And there aren't many extensions in your world either, are there? Not really. No. <laughs> and it, it's, it is a lot. So for, for, our, for employers, really understanding who you're working with, who your partners are, and what the responsibilities are is really important. Because as Scott and Paul point out, this is an employer law. And, you know, there's certainly professionals that will help you, and we help our clients. And, um, but you need to have that conversation. Not only do you need to have that conversation, you need to have that conversation memorialized in the form of a contract. If, if you're going to allocate responsibilities and liabilities, you need to have that in writing. So if I'm if I'm an employer and I have less than 50 employees, what what's what's something I should be worried about right now? Well, right now, because less than 50, I think the biggest thing on the horizon in that respect is going to be the community rating and the dollars. How how is this going to impact your premiums? Previously, and, and this really is in your wheelhouse more than mine, the carriers would look and try to assign a premium based on the risk that's involved. For an older population, that the, the premiums would be higher, and for a younger one, they'd be smaller. Uh, the ability for the employer, for the carriers to adjust the risk now on those insured products is, is limited. So most people believe that the vast majority of employers are going to see a pretty dramatic increase. Yeah, I think one of the insurance company executives at least came out and said, when the impact of age adjusted community rating comes out, which will be 1-1 of 18, yes. 2018, 60% of small employers will get a 50% or greater increase. So what about those employers over 50? Well, right now, I think, as I said at the very beginning, I think the thing on the immediate horizon are these, these forms, the IRS forms, that are basically, well, the way they're intended to do is that they, the IRS will use these forms to, one, determine whether or not the employer is subject to the employer mandate, and two, whether the individuals are subject to the individual mandate. What the government said, and again, it, it gets back to what we said previously, two, the government keeps pushing back the deadlines, but the deadlines are due to distribute the forms to the employees by the end of this month if you have 50 or more employees. Um, what they said is that they would be hesitant to assess the penalty as long as you make a good faith attempt. But you do have to submit something. So I just have to try. You have to, <laughs> you have to try. You have, try. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you have to try really, really hard. Yeah. Well, you have How to do that? something. Let's put it this way. Saying that, well, I tried and, and I didn't do anything or I didn't get them out, it, you're going to be subject to a penalty. Right. At least that's what the government's saying. Right. Okay. So now let me ask you a question that's not related to the ACA for a minute but is related to compliance, something that is near and dear to your heart. What's one of the strangest compliance issues you've ever dealt with? No names, but what, what, tell me something that's was just the weirdest compliance thing you've looked at in the last 10 years. Boy, that, that caught me off guard there. I mean, what, what we've run into, and we talked about this at, at an employee meeting, uh, I think earlier this week, had to do with the Medicare secondary payer rules, 
whereas what will happen is the government has these Medicare secondary payer rules, which basically requires employer plans to coordinate benefits with Medicare. And what will happen is someone would go to the hospital, be on Medicare in the employer plan. The hospital would say, well, do you have Medicare? They'd say, yes. Medicare would pay the claim and then come back after the employer, which could really be pretty dramatic. But the part that we found kind of interesting is that the government will hound you. They, they won't take a practical approach. It could be like $70, and they will hound you till the ends of the earth for the $70. So once you're in the system. Once you're in, in the, the jaws system. of the system, you are in the jaws of the system, and there's no getting out. Right. Yeah, so, and then there's other parts of compliance that um, maybe have been camouflaged by the Affordable Care Act, things like COBRA. I mean, employers are still subject to that. They're still subject to a lot of reporting requirements. Yeah, you know, one thing that happened in Ohio for the fully insured plans, Ohio used to require coverage up to age 28, and effective this year, it came down to age 26 to kind of correspond with the federal legislation. The same thing before, uh, employers with fully insured plans with less than 50, you had to offer coverage to those that work 25 hours a week. They've raised it to 30, which kind of corresponds with the uh, federal government. So... As Scott indicated, you know, with the Afford Affordable Care Act, we have three government agencies, but you also have the state the state laws, too. So it, it can really get confusing and really complicated. I even think for our listeners, what we uh, you can go to our blog, um, healthierbirthdays.com, and we have some compliance checklists that we can put out there for employers to, to, to look at. So if I have less than 50 employees, if I have over 50 employees, if I have over 100 employees, 20 uh, employees over 20 employees um, um, they can just kind of explore those checklists because ultimately um, the majority of that is an employer responsibility yeah I mean 99 percent of it and like I say yeah so let's go back one time real quick because we're almost uh, at the end but if I'm an employer less than 50 um, what what do I pay as a penalty if I don't offer health care nothing yeah say that one more time zero there you go yeah, yeah. if I'm over 50 and I have health care, walk, walk us through those rules. What happens is there's really two penalties. If you have more than 50 full-time or full-time equivalents, full-time is defined as 30 hours or more. If you have 50 or more full-time or full-time equivalents and you don't offer coverage to at least 95% of the full-time employees is a penalty. The penalty is $2,000, although that's, that's indexed. It's $2,000 minus 30 30 employees. You get 30, yeah, 30, 30, you get 30 free employees, basically. So if you had 70 full-time employees and you didn't offer coverage to at least 95% of them, then you'd take the 70 minus the 30, it'd be 40, and 40 times the $2,000, and that would be your penalty. Um, assuming that you do offer coverage, the next penalty is if the coverage isn't quality or affordable, and quality is a pretty low standard. So assuming that you have a plan out there, we're just going to say that it's, that it's quality coverage. However, if it's not affordable, then the employer is penalized. By affordable, what you do is you look at the lowest cost of the single coverage. So let's say you have three options, option A, B, and C, and A is the cheapest one. What you do is you look at the cost of coverage A, the cost of single coverage. If it exceeds more than 9.5, well, it's indexed, 9.66% of their income, it's considered not affordable. So therefore, you would be penalized $3,000 for each full-time employee that went to the exchange and got a subsidy. So let's say we have 70 employees. We offer coverage to 95% of them, but it's not affordable for 15 of those employees. 
and six of those employees go to the exchange and get a subsidy, then you'd be penalized $18,000. So you just you just explained that in like basically four minutes, and, and it took the federal government to like basically 11,000 pages to explain what you just said. Well, if I was charging by the time rather than the page, it would have taken me longer. Yeah. The, 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 the big picture here is if you're an HR person listening, um, you've probably lived and breathed this for the last six years. You're probably intimately familiar. If you're a business owner listening to this, um, you just need to know this is what your HR people are spending all their time doing and your CFOs is making sure you're not paying a penalty or if you're subject to it, you know why. Um, it's very complicated. Paul did just narrow that down. And if if you're riveted by compliance, then you can um, look on healthierbirthdays.com and we'll have a link to Paul's book out there. You might need to take out a small loan to purchase it. Um, and it'll give you a, a, a little bit of uh, sleeping. So you could read that when you need to, to go to sleep at night. Right, Paul? It'll make Correct. you tired. Hey, so before we wrap up, anything like off on the horizon that you think and all your experience uh, in regards to the Affordable Care Act? Any, any last parting words? You know, unfortunately, it's the law of the land. And like I said, you listen to the debates and you figure it's just going to go away. But I think, as I said, it's the law of the land. As we talked about a little bit earlier, I'm not sure they're going to be able to unwind it completely. So I think you have to start taking it seriously. You really do. The penalties are in effect this year, 2016. Um, and as we talked about, it's expensive. So I think just burying your head in the sand like we did the first year or two saying, oh, it's not going to happen. They'll repeal it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. I think it, it, you really do have to take it seriously at this point. Yeah. Great advice. So, well, thanks so much for being with us today, Paul. Our listeners appreciate it. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. And again, I I will say I like your hair, too. Okay. Well, thanks. Well, if you want to reach out to me and, and let me know if you like my hair, you can reach me at ann at healthierbirthdays.com. Or you can reach um, myself at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. So check out uh, our uh, website at healthierbirthdays.com. We'll have information about Paul Roth, compliance updates, uh, information about his uh, book, uh, and then, again, some compliance updates. It's a complicated subject. And it's a subject that, uh, let's just face it, there's a lot of emotional turmoil uh, around it. My personal opinion is um, doing nothing was about as destructive as what we're doing. We're smart people. We'll figure that out. It's done some really good things for America. And I think over time, we'll have a better health care system for it. So uh, although it's complicated, thanks for making it easy for us to understand, Paul. Hey, thanks, everybody. Have a nice weekend. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.